And welcome to another edition of Two Steps Ahead Podcast. Two Steps Ahead Podcast, encouraging you to take your passion, make it happen, and let yourself be great. I'm Son Edom, and on the show today, we've got a special guest joining us. He is a magician, a uh, an author, someone that has uh, appeared and performed at the Magic Castle in Los Angeles, if you're familiar with that great and fabulous place. You've also just recently completed a uh, show with Penn and Teller. You've uh, been, I guess, performing in like 21 countries around the world and number of shows that you put on. And of course, your stuff is online if people want to go see it as well. But uh, Danny Ray is my guest. And first and foremost, uh, as we get the conversation started, is it an illusionist or a magician? Is there a difference? <laughs> well, thanks for having me on the show. Um, depends what group you're talking to. Um, a lot of times with people in the faith community, I'll say illusionist. But people in the magic community, if I said illusionist, they think more Copperfield or kind of these grand stage illusions where technically most of what I do is sleight of hand, which is close up magic or close up sleight of hand conjuring. But yeah, so I would say illusionist in most places I'm at. So what what got you into it? Because you were a pastor as well and still are. Yeah. But I mean, that you know, you were a pastor for a long time, too. And so... Where'd the magic come from? The illusion come from? Where did all this uh, originate from? It actually started with the, the magic side of it. I, I grew up, uh, I didn't grow up in the church. And so at 10 years old, I was interested in sleight of hand. I think like a, a lot of people, you know, they pick up a magic kit or a magic trick. I just never put it down. At 12 years old, started a show called Razzle Dazzle. I sold 75 tickets for a quarter. I was the richest kid in town. Yeah. <laughs> and then... 15, started doing restaurant magic that led to local businesses. But at 17 years old, that's where I gave my life to Christ. And, uh, and that, that changed everything for me as I had to filter things through through what God wanted me to do, not just what I wanted to do. And so, yeah, that's the beginning of that journey. So then how is that merger between faith and the illusionist and that magic world come together? Yeah, so I was I was doing ministry in the local church, doing youth ministry, five years volunteer, five years as a youth pastor. And I was reading through the book, book of Romans 11, 29. It says God's gifts and his calling are irrevocable. And it's the first time I saw those two kind of inextricable from one another. Um, up into that point, I had, you know, I did shows over here. I'd speak God's word over here, encourage people. But those two never met. And when I read that verse, it stopped me in my tracks. And I went, okay, I, I hear what you're saying, God. I need, to, um, I need to blend these two together. And so that started the process of really blending those two together. And in 2003, we launched it as a full-time ministry, and I've been on the road ever since. Yeah. And how has it been received? Because I know oftentimes in, in the faith-based world, the Christian world, you know, things that are a little bit unusual, unorthodox can kind of be like, ooh, skeptical. But, you know, with this, it seems like it's a great way, especially dealing with youth, to kind of draw them in and then be able to at some point then, you know, witness them, present the gospel to them or just kind of, you know, have a positive impact on their lives. Yeah, you you look at the the early church and, you know, they – they were trying to figure out what is that that pathway, that bridge between, you know, where uh, where they are and where Christ is and try to like bridge that gap between. And so this is a common practice with missionaries today is they learn the language, they learn the culture. And one of the things that is really popular in our culture is sleight of hand is magic. And and so it's an easy win to 
to draw youth in with a sleight of hand and then be able to share the gospel with them. And not that it's a, a catch and bait. Like, I, I don't want it to be that, but it is a way of winning people over. It's like they, they see the sleight of hand. Hopefully, I'm doing the best sleight of hand I could possibly do, right? And, you know, top-notch sleight of hand. So that, that builds an intrigue and an opportunity to share the gospel and share faith. So it's been really well-received. We've, yeah, been all over the country, camps, conferences, churches, outreach events, you know, all, all kinds of different things to, to, to share um, the love of God with people in an interesting way. Now, I've seen a couple of your videos that were sent, and they're pretty amazing. It's not just your basic, you know, ooh, here's a card, and I'm going to pull up a coin from behind your ear type of thing. You yeah. know, there was a, a can of Coke that then eventually had a coin in it. The coin became a lime. The lime became a coin inside the lime, you know, and that was pretty amazing. And then on Huckabee, your performance on Huckabee with the uh, card inside the wrapped gum, and then you had to open the gum, and there's the the, the person's card. I mean, this is some pretty – pretty elaborate uh, sleight of hand illusions that you're performing. It's not just this simple three card money stuff. Yeah. So I, I'm a fan of knuckle busting sleight of hand. It's my passion. And so, so that's what the craft I work on that all the time. And, you know, when I was on Penn and Teller, it was, it was like, how do you fool two guys that know everything? Right. And so, so I went into a piece that I had done thousands of times and I started working on that every day for 70 days, six to 10 hours a day. I would work out on it 45 seconds at a time. At the minute, um, I would start over. So I'd, I'd work on something for 45 seconds, reset for 15 seconds, and start it all over again at one minute and did that for 10 hours at a time. And the, the thing is, is, is I want to create things that are excellent, that are mind-blowing. So that gives a, a window into into God's heart of that he creates things that are amazing that are all around us all the time and points back to him. And so, so that's, that is the, the joy of what I do is creating moments of astonishment for people. So you mentioned Penn and Teller, were they astonished? How'd that go? Um, it went fantastic. About 10% of people that get onto that show, you know, thousands auditioned for it. And then about 10% of the people that get on there fool them in Happy to say that I did uh, did fool them, and uh, yeah, it was a crazy journey. But it it really was putting to death an old method to create a new method to to fool these two guys. You know, they they're they're both very smart guys, and I had to think through like what would they think that I'm doing, and try to create something that is completely different than anything they would think of, and by God's grace and uh, a lot of hard work that, um, that I think he set before me that I was able to do that. Yeah. Isn't that the hardest thing to kind of perform in front of people that are of the trade, so to speak, because like you said, they know everything, they know all the tricks, they know all the secrets, they know everything. And if you can impress your peers, that's got to say something about how you're able to perform your craft. Yeah, so you mentioned the Magic Castle earlier. 16 years ago, I performed at the Magic Castle for the first time. It was a dream come true. I know that that time because it was the the week my daughter was born. <laughs> and, uh, and so it, it kind of is marked in my, my mind forever that way. But every year I've gone back to the Magic Castle and you have people like sitting two feet from you that are staring at you that I've read their books. I've watched their videos. They're legends in the magic field. And so I think that helped create 
a confidence, if you will, in my abilities to, to fool, to astonish by having the best in the world sit right in front of you, which is what the Magic Castle is. It's a, you know, that you have the best performers in the world sitting there watching you and a ton of Hollywood stars, all that type of stuff. And, and so I think when I went to perform for Penn and Teller, I had already had 16 years of doing that. So it wasn't the first time I was in front of, you know, two well-known magicians that, you know, are, are very knowledgeable. So. Yeah, I've been fortunate to uh, make it to the Magic Castle. And for people that don't really understand it, you might know the Magic Castle, but in case you don't know, it is some place that if you're not a member, you need to kind of be invited to or have someone that's a member kind of invite you to to show up. So you can't just show up. So it's really right. kind of, I don't want to say exclusive, but it's, it's, a, it's a clientele that really is caters to people that really truly appreciate magic. And some of the performances, like you said, in the hallway, they'd have a table set up and a guy would be sitting there and doing sleight of hand with coins or uh-huh. cards, whatever. And you're literally like, like you're right there and you're looking and it's like, wait a minute. How do you do that? How do you do that? How'd she do that? It's, it's <laughs> like right there and you can witness it six feet and you know, six inches from your eyes and you're seeing this. And it's pretty amazing. The, the talent that you guys have and the craft that you're able to perform. And it's, uh, if anyone has the opportunity to just go see sleight of hand or uh, in person up close, it's definitely something you need to do because it just uh, is simply just amazing. Yeah, it's I, I love that place and it's yeah, it is it has the the best performers and I go down there just to watch and enjoy and be astonished myself. So it's great. Performing in person against performing on TV, is there a yeah. difference? Yeah, there's definitely a, a major difference. You know, on TV you're trying to hold their attention every second. You know, in a live performance, it's not that you're not trying to hold their attention, but there's a buildup and a momentum that you gain their trust over time that that they don't want to leave. But on television, they might just flip to that channel and you have three seconds to go like, okay, impress me. And so there's always like moments where you're trying to entertain or astonish or, you know, create something that's interesting. And so it was very different for me with, you know, the piece I did is basically playing Russian roulette with my eyeball. I would never in a million years do this as a, you know, the only trick that I'm going to do. But, you know, like I would always have like a buildup so that they care if you lose your eyeball or not, right? Um, You know, it's a, a really weird one to start with. And then the way I had originally designed it is it was like a slow build um, to build into kind of this frenzy. And then, you know, then the, the trigger goes off and my eyeballs saved, all that stuff. But when I went to do it on television, and I was talking to the executive producers. They wanted it to go off the rails in the first like 30 seconds. And I was like, well, that defeats like the buildup that I want to give to it. But they were right. Like they know television much better than I do. They don't know magic. Uh, you know, they, they know, um, you know, magic in the sense that they've, produced a lot of magic shows now, but they, they're, uh, they're approaching it from how people understand television and what engages people. And so having something go off the rails. And if you watch the piece, like right at the beginning of it, it, it seems to go awry and that keeps people engaged and, and connected to that piece. Now, one of the things that uh, you've done as uh, amongst the many things that you've done is you, you've written a book. And so, 
the book is entitled A Magician's Guide for a Magical Marriage. And like you uh, have been talking about, you know, you're kind of merging, you know, illusionism, magic type of that world into a lot of different things as far as ministry goes, which I think is pretty, uh, pretty fantastic. So what kind of brought about this idea of a book? And first off, I guess you guys just uh, celebrated 25 years together, you and your wife, Kimberly. Is that right? 25 years? Yeah, my wife and I just celebrated 25, went to Hawaii, really thankful for yeah, just the incredible journey together. And when we were probably 21, 22 years married, we started to think about how can we give back. And the, the, we've been to a bunch of conferences and marriage classes and seminars. And, and then we've taught a lot of those as well. And as a pastor, you end up doing a lot of marriage counseling and weddings, you know, officiating weddings. And so, I, I, I went, you know, what can we do to take the, the magic principles and take biblical principles and combine those together so that we could give back to people that are, you know, either struggling in their marriage or looking for, you know, a fresh perspective on how to create a thriving marriage. And so, um, so that's what we did with this book is um, took 18 magic principles and it took 18 biblical principles and figured out the overlap. And, you know, shared truth in those to help people to, you know, overcome or to, um, you know, communicate better a number of things that, for, um, um, that any marriage needs. Now, the full title of the book is No, I Can't Make Your Wife Disappear, A Magician's Guide for Magical Marriage. So how many times over those 25 years have you wanted to kind of throw the blanket over your wife, do the abracadabra and kind of make her disappear <laughs> or maybe put her in that box? Uh, early pop. on, she let me know she was not going to be a part of the show. Uh, that That's not happening. Uh, so she actually, I for the last 20 years, I've had somebody film the show. And so now all of my kids have filmed the show. She's filmed the show. For a decade, I had one videographer that traveled with me. Uh, but then when he took a, a full-time job overseas, that that didn't allow him to travel with me. So uh, so I started to bring in different people, but my kids and my wife um, are some of those that, uh, that you know, it, it's fun to have it uh, them behind the camera because it's interactive and I talk to the camera person and interact with them the whole show. So they're, they're a part of it. And, you know, oftentimes people are cheering for the camera person more than they're cheering for me. It's just part of the, you know, the banter, the, the fun part of the show. Now, oftentimes when people will write something, they'll write a book, yeah. maybe, you know, some other type of uh, writings, they find out or discover things about themselves, maybe that they might not have known, or maybe, maybe you found out things about your marriage that you might not have realized. How much of like a, a self um realization or was there anything like that that came about it as you were writing it that you discovered for your guy, you know, cause obviously the point is to help others, but were you able to help yourself too. Um, I, there, there's definitely like, you know, things that we rediscovered in, in writing it. But I think a big part of it was like trying to figure out, okay, 25 years and, and she's still my best friend. I still love being with her. I told you like right before we got onto this podcast, you know, that, you know, we went on a quick date. I'm like, babe, we've got 45 minutes, you know? And so we, you know, ran out, did a quick date, came back, jumped onto this. Um, and so one of the things that, that I was trying to figure out is like, what has made our marriage so strong? Like we've had big ups and big downs, but overall we've stayed on the same page. We've 
we're still in love with each other. We still love being with each other. We're, we still like each other, <laughs> right? And so I think a part of the, the discovery for me was like, what, what is it that we've done different? Because we've seen a ton of marriages now go through a divorce, which breaks our heart. And we've seen other people that are staying together, but they're, they don't really enjoy each other. And so I think part of the big discovery for me was like, what is it that really worked for us? And how can we give those things back? And so the things that we put in here aren't just, you know, practical tips and strategies, but they're, they're things that we've applied and we've seen work in our own lives and in the, the lives of those that we've counseled, um, counseled over the years. Yeah. The other thing too, it seems like this could be timely for some people because the last year and a half, maybe two years has really been rough. There's been a lot of people that have been forced to kind of hunker down together and stay yeah. depending on where you're at. You know, I'm out in, in Los Angeles and California, you know, there was a, a, a probably almost a, a good year where we had to stay indoors. You couldn't work, you couldn't go out and, you know, so right. you really stuck together in the same house. And a lot of times that can put a strain on any relationship if it's not a good relationship. And so as hopefully things start to uh, open up a little bit more, although we seem to be facing something new every day, you know, it seems like that relationship between the husband and wife or the family even is becoming more and more strained, including having to be together and spend time together. So like you said, you know, if, if you mentioned best friend, oftentimes there's guys they'll talk to that their best friend isn't referred to as their wife. And maybe that's just semantics, but you know, that's really what it comes down to. I'd imagine just having that best friend right there by your side to get through even the toughest of times. And so our, our belief is that the, the marriage unit is central for, for the family, for the community, for the church, for the world. And as, as we get that right, and we're, we're connected to one another as a uh, marital unit, then that's going to just um, bless neighbors, bless your family. But I think sometimes we get it mixed up and we want to, you know, take care of our kids first. And then that's at the expense of our own relationship. And so then in 2020, when you do end up spending a, a massive amount of time in comparison to 2019 together, there's, it just brings together all, all the pain, the suffering, the, the difficulties, the things that you've been ignoring. And those are things that we try to address like every day. But in the book, we try to look at like, what are the things that you need to overcome? Right. Like with the, the loss of loved ones, I, I'm sure everyone could identify with somebody that they lost in 2020, whether that's, you know, one step removed or somebody really close to you. And how do you deal with loss? So we have a whole section that we talk about, you know, um, overcoming the impossible or seemingly impossible things. How do we communicate more effectively? We dedicate six chapters to really healthy communication and and just the the essential um, nature of communication and how do we, you know, create win-win instead of, you know, you against me and handling each other with care and with respect and with love. And so those are things that we try to address in the book. Has there been any response? Cause like you mentioned, there's three sections in the book and it yeah. seems like communication might be the biggest one, but have you had any feedback as to which part or which sections or any parts of the book that have really resonated more so than others with people today? Yeah, uh, a lot of people have talked about the communication. And as we've met with, I don't know how, how many couples now, but a ton of couples, communication is is like key. It's the, the number one issue that we'll hear about. 
you know, like they might bring up like intimacy issues or um, sex issues. Right. Um, but usually that we look at that as like the pinnacle of communication. Right. And so if there's problems in the bedroom, it's probably started somewhere else. And so communication, we've heard interesting feedback and, you know, because we take it from a different angle and try to give a different perspective. And so we've had really healthy conversations and, um, you know, people that have written us to talk about that side of it. But the other side that I think is like one of those things that that everybody wants, and this is how we end the book, is the third section is all about thriving, is how do you create a relationship once you've, and I don't want to say master communication, because it's something that I think we're, we always sit in the position of learning. It's not like my wife and I, you know, even though we've been married 25 years, we could just kick back and go like, okay, we could go on cruise control. We don't have to work on these things anymore. We have it down. We're constantly learning and developing and in really trying to understand where the other person is at. That's our whole section on, uh, I think, chapter three on mind reading, you know, is really getting into the mindset of the other person so that you could understand how they think, why they think the way they do, instead of being frustrated that they don't think like you do, right? And that that's the danger. And that creates that those false expectations of like, well, why don't you do it like this? because God's created them different, right? And those are healthy. And so learning to understand the other person, to hear their perspective. Danny Ray is my guest. His book is uh, No, I Can't Make Your Wife Disappear, A Magician's Guide for Magical Marriage. And, you know, in this day and age, a lot of people are meeting online. You know, in, in I don't know if you want to call them the old days, but before the internet, you know, you'd have to go out and meet people. It would be church right. maybe, or maybe you'd be at a bar, or maybe be other some other social setting. Now you're starting to meet people online, and a lot of people are jumping into relationships a lot quicker than what they might have in the past. And like you mentioned, you know, with divorce, I think the last time I checked on percentage-wise, over 50% of, divorce, of marriages yeah. end in divorce. So, I mean, the marriage life, I mean, the marriage is really in upheaval in our times. Has you seen anything about the online aspect of it that has really affected dating and getting to know people? Because it's like they meet online, maybe they talk a little bit, go out, and then all of a sudden they're together. And that building a relationship before you commit to marriage sometimes disappears. So have you seen any impact as far as that goes and the people that you've talked to and, and stuff like that? Yeah, we always look at those. This is how we look at like the internet is like, it's just a neutral thing. It could be used for good things. It could be used for negative. And so we, we know um, plenty of couples that have really healthy marriages that started on the internet, you know, is they, there's something that can create a depth um, and a vulnerability that's sometimes hard to do face to face where you might keep it surface, but there's a, a, a depth you could create in a, in a conversation. I know for my wife and I early on, there was a lot of letter writing back and forth more on my side, <laughs> on her side. Um, but that, that's similar to that online where you're, you know, typing or texting or, you know, online messaging, whatever that might be. And there, there can be um, great communication that happens that way. But then the danger comes when you do meet face to face is sometimes that that uh, messaging back and forth. You're able to think things through and maybe craft something a little bit better that face to face you can't do. And so you have to learn to have both of those conversations well and to learn to be 
intimate, vulnerable, and a person of trust in both of those. Now, you and your wife, Kimberly, 25 years together. How long before you got married were you dating? And can you share how you guys met? Yeah, so we met at the University of Redlands, which is a university in Southern California. And we met freshman week. And I, uh, I talked to her probably for two and a half hours, three hours outside of her dorm. And then at the end of it, I said, what's your name again? So <laughs> she went away going like, well, that went well. And um, I tell her today, I was just so astonished, blown away by your beauty. I couldn't, you're breathtaking. I mean, I, how could I remember your name? But she's like, yeah, you just forgot. <laughs> so, uh, so that was um, week one of, of meeting each other. And then we, we started hanging out throughout our freshman year. By the end of our freshman year, we started dating each other. And then sophomore year, I asked her to marry me. We were engaged for two and a half years. And then we... We graduated one weekend, got married the next weekend. About two weeks after that, I started my grad work in Colorado Springs. And so we moved from Southern California to Colorado. Uh, and that's where we started our first couple of years of being married. It was in Colorado Springs. What do you think? Because marriage, especially over a long period of time, but any relationship, you know, maybe it could be a business partnership. It could be a friendship, anything requires yeah. work. It requires, you know, like I said, communication was a big part of it, but it requires work. What's the, I guess the biggest struggle that you see people outside of communication. I mean, was there anything that, that you guys went through that really resonates with what other people are going through when you share your story, you talk about your relationships and stuff like that? One of the one of the things I think for us is I say magicians keep secrets, but um, marriages don't. Is so when we were in Colorado. So I told you I became a believer at seventeen years old. I had struggled with pornography at that that point in my life, and at that point it was you know pre internet. Uh, you know there was a bunch of magazines. I threw them all away, and you know thought I got rid of that part of my life. I might have you know struggled here and there, but it wasn't as strong of an issue. Uh, when we got married about, I don't know, maybe three months into our marriage, I, I was passing this shop. It was a porn shop. I would pass it every day on the way to work. Well, one day, you know, I stop, go in and look around for, you know, maybe two to five minutes. And then I, you know, walked to my car, just like full of shame. Like, what am I doing? But I had a decision at that point to make, am I going to hide this? Because that's what I wanted to do was just hide it from my wife and just be like, okay, it wasn't that big of a deal. I didn't buy anything. All I did was look. Like I, I just looked around. I walked out. I did the right thing. I got out of there. You know, but then I was like, no, like this is a deeper issue. And if I don't address it, then it's going to continue to grow. And so so I did in that I I brought it up with her. She felt insecure about it. She um, was hurt by it. There was self-esteem issues that happened from that. But ultimately what we did is we got in, in counseling and the counseling was effective and it worked. And so we made a decision at that point. I remember writing it down in one of my journals, like I will do whatever it takes to create a great marriage. And I think that's the key is whatever your situation is, no matter what your struggles are, is sharing those, which takes vulnerability, which takes trust in the other person, trust in um, who God's designed you to be together and going like, I'm going to lay this before you and we're going to have to deal with it. You know, it was like a bomb going off, but we dealt with it. Things got better and 
at that point, we just decided, well, let's do whatever it takes to create a great marriage, even if it's embarrassing for ourselves or for our marriage. We'd rather be embarrassed and deal with things than not. So, you know, that's that's kind of an interesting point because. Like you mentioned, your experience, there was no internet. There was no computers. You had to actually go someplace, and usually it was a shop somewhere or you know, maybe the, the local uh, mini-mart or something like that and, and search it out. But nowadays, and it used to be kind of guys only that were kind of viewing yeah. pornography and stuff. But now that it's moved into the house with the internet, a lot more women are starting to you know kind of fall prey to it. And so as you see this kind of merging together, and I've talked with some people and they're like, oh, you know, we watch it and it's good for both of us because it spices up the bedroom and stuff like that. But I don't know. It seems like most conversations I have, when you deal with pornography as a couple, as an individual, whatever, like you said, there's that shame, there's that hiding. But I don't think, I don't, I don't know one person that can ever tell me what good comes from it, despite the perceived goods that people might have. Have you seen that? Like a lot of people kind of get sucked into that area and it it affects them? Is that something that's kind of just kind of off the rails these days with the internet in the house now? Yeah, we, it's definitely, I think, an epidemic in our Christian culture as well as in the world. But you look on both, both sides, both in the the secular of, of people that are trying to deal with it, as well as in the Christian, is there's people in, uh, you know, that that aren't people of faith that have come to the conclusion, like, this isn't healthy for, for my marriage. It's not healthy for me. Like, it takes away from times of um, times of doing things that I want to do that uh, that are healthy and that would be beneficial for my for my family or for myself or for my business. And so it could it could be a, a big um, time consumer. And one of the things that we've tried to help couples with is usually when one spouse is doing it in secret and the other spouse finds out that spouse is really hurt because they feel like they're not good enough. They, they feel like, why would you ever do this? And so in what we've tried to help them to understand is the distinction between a sex addiction and a pornography addiction. You know, those are two different things is one is going out to elicit sex. You know, one is viewing things and those are like real simple definitions, but, but sometimes, you know, they, the person that's seeing this, you know, or has caught their um, husband or their, their wife in this situation is they, they feel like, well, now that's uh, they're doing other things as well. The, the thing is, is regardless of what's going on in that situation is trust has been broken and trust is really hard to rebuild. And so that's one of those things where if there's a difference between getting caught and coming to that person and saying, hey, look, I've been I've been doing this for whatever period of time that is and being honest with the person. And that's as painful as honesty is. It's the better way than getting caught. When you get caught, there's more trust that's broken. So. OK, so if somebody yeah. listening to this is going through something and let's it, say it's just anything that that kind of breaks or violates that trust in the relationship. Right. You know, and for you, you know, I would imagine it took, you know, a lot of inner strength to to go to your wife and be like, hey, this is what I did. And even though it was a short period of time, five minutes, looked around, whatever. And it caused, you know, big um, a reaction, you know, kind of like a big tsunami of issues with your wife because she's like, 
thinking all these things, you guys end up getting help and it worked. So what would your recommendation or your advice be to somebody that is thinking, okay, you know what? I want to be able to break this. I want to be able to restore a relationship. I want to be able to get back into, um, you know, that trust with my spouse and they want to take those steps. What would you recommend they do or how, go, how would they approach it? I guess. Yeah. The, the first thing I would do is I, I think there's a danger in just praying about it. And let me say why is because oftentimes we could pray and go, God, I'm so sorry. I'll never do this again. And then we go back out there. We do the same things again. And then we pray. And this idea that, well, God will forgive me, but my spouse can't is I think an unhealthy understanding of our view of God um, versus our view of our, our spouse. And so the first thing I would say is confessing to somebody that you trust outside of your, your spouse relationship. And so that, that gets you in that position of understanding that there's healing and confession, that as we hide, that, that uh, those things continue to build and the worry becomes more and more and the stress level of that becomes more. So I would, I would seek wise counsel, right? Is, is go to somebody that you know, that you trust, and ask that person to help you that might know your spouse as well. What's the best way to have this conversation with them? I wouldn't do it when anybody else is around that conversation with your, your spouse. So if you have kids, right, it's not a good time at dinner to say, hey, let's talk about this. You know, the kids go into the other room for a second. Like you need to create more space for that so that there could be uh, some interaction in a response to that that's healthy instead of not creating space that would allow for there to uh, to be a healthy response if you have you know kids that are running around or if you did it over dinner at a restaurant and now there's maybe an embarrassment on the the spouse the other spouse's part and they don't want to talk about it there so creating the right space so I would say seek wise counsel figure out the right space in the right time but. I think like a lot of things, there's never a great time. You just have to step out to do it. And I, I'm not saying not to pray about it. I would highly recommend praying through it as well and asking God to give you wisdom. God says if we ask, he will give us wisdom of the right words, the right way to um, phrase that in a way that our spouse would understand and hear us. And in I think owning it is a is a huge thing, is not trying to justify but saying that this is where I'm at and I wanted to let you know and let the, the person respond. I, we've seen a lot of different responses with this where, you know, they, they can lash out, they could um, be silent or they could, you know, say something that is hurtful back. So I don't think it's just like, oh, it's going to be one conversation, but I think it's the opening the door to create a, a back and forth conversation. And there might need to be counseling that's happened as a, that happens as a next step. So, so I, I think the key is yet to make a decision to do it. Yeah. Cause one of the things that I've seen with social media, especially with things like TikTok and stuff is, is yeah. I noticed, especially in the early part of 2020, when people were starting to get locked down, a lot of people were on the social media platforms doing things. And it started out where there's, for example, a lot of uh, maybe women would be doing their, you know, trends on social media. But then as the, the, the lockdowns pandemic continued, I started to kind of notice some of the people that I would follow um, were getting divorced. 
and mm-hmm. and now all of a sudden they're single, you know, and especially they're like, uh, I don't say older women, but, you know, moms and, and people yeah. like that that are like, you know, professional women and moms and stuff, not, not the young ones. And, and it seems like that, and I don't know what the relationship was or anything like that before, but it seemed like this was a time that was really becoming problematic for a lot of people because not only were you together, you were seeking an outlet. So maybe it's not even something as salacious as pornography. It could be an addiction to doing TikTok videos or something like that that really draws people away from each other. So it seems like now is really an important time, like you mentioned, to maybe think about what it is that we're going through in our lives. What is it that is breaking that trust? Maybe something as simple as being addicted to TikTok and nothing salacious or whatever it is and starting to approach because we're going into a new year and everybody has new year's resolutions. So maybe now's the time to, to look at that area of our life. Yeah. And my encouragement uh, for people that way, uh, I think all three of my kids. Uh, so I have, I have a, um, a son that's in, doing his grad work right now that's 22, another one that's in college that's 20, and my daughter that's 16, all three of them independently have got off all social media. And they talk about it. It's just kind of a funny thing that they independently did it. I'm sure there was some influence by you know one of them starting it, the next one doing it, but all three of them got off. And I don't think they'll be off forever, but they're just like, there's a peace in being free from that need to like, ooh, how many likes did it get? Ooh, did this video do well? Ooh, people like that. You know, and we're constantly like feeding that monster of attention that we want when the relationships, you know, that are right in front of us, we're missing because we're on the phone. And we actually have a section in the book that we talk about social media is just our phone in general can be a major distraction from real relationships that are happening right around us. So what, what we have um, come to accept as normal is if we're talking to somebody face to face and somebody texts us that it's okay to get on our phone, break conversation this way to respond to somebody that's not even in the room with us. And so and it's not that we, my wife and I will never do that, but we've come to understand that, that it, it's a way of um, distracting and showing what's more important is that our phone becomes more important. An email coming in, a text coming in, a TikTok video notification coming up, any number of things that take us away from real conversation. And so in our dating practices, we don't allow the phone to be an interruption. It does happen in like our day-to-day stuff, but we've tried to like set boundaries and remind each other like, hey, I'm talking to you. Can you please wait on that? And do that in a way that's respectful, that's um, loving. But we, we both understand that it's really hard to do. But I would encourage people out there, either take a social media fast of saying like, okay, for the next 30 days, you will survive, I promise. You don't, you know, um, take that off. It's a really healthy thing to do to gain perspective and to find what's sucking time away and what can you really invest your time in well. Danny Ray is my guest. Uh, He's an author. He's also an illusionist. He's a pastor. He's kind of all kinds of things. Uh, The book is No, I Can't Make Your Wife Disappear, A Magician's Guide for Magical Marriage. And it does have the three sections that we talked about. You have a, a, a section on effective communication secrets to overcoming the impossible, 
Um, and then there was one other, uh, making the relationship stronger. And as we start to wrap up, I just want to know, um, the role of men, you know, we, we've gotten to the point where, um, you know, you got the women's movement, you've got women's empowerment, you've got equal yeah. rights, you've got all these things going on. But from a biblical view, if a relationship comes together and works in God's view, you know, there's the man and he plays his role. And oftentimes he's considered the leader, which a lot of people don't like, but it's a relationship thing. It's not a, you know, he's the boss. It's a relationship thing. And then the woman comes alongside and they form this perfect union as far as how God created it. Do you see, do you think it's a time now where men need to start stepping up and start to take on the responsibility of stepping forward when things go wrong or uh, be more encouraging to, you know, your spouse, um, taking leadership when dealing with the kids? Cause oftentimes you see, you know, the mom's the one dealing with the kids. Um, is it time for men to step up and start to kind of take on that role that God has really called them to be in a relationship here on earth? I, absolutely think our, our men need to step up, myself included, is we need to be the men that God's designed us to be. And that's not overbearing over our spouse, but in a loving, sacrificial way, we are constantly giving, we're constantly serving, we're constantly doing what's um, best for, for the kingdom. We're helping lead our families closer to God. But the flip has happened where most of the spiritual leaders in the household are now women. They, they know the scriptures better. They're the ones going to church. They're the ones helping raise um, like a biblical foundation with the um, the kids. And I think this is, um, it, it's, it's a sad reality in our time that men, you know, like with a marriage book, we know for a fact that probably 80, 85% of the people that read this book will be women. And that shouldn't be, and it's not a time issue, right? It's it's being intentional as going, I want to invest in my marriage. I want to invest in my family. The same way that we do in work where we'll have um, business plans or a vision statement or a mission statement for our, our work, whether we're an entrepreneur, whether we're, you know, working in the context of, you know, corporate America, whatever that is, we, we have goals in the context of our business but we need to have those goals in the context of our family, in the context of our marriage. And as men, we need to step up and, and be the leaders that God's designed us to be, that lead with love, that lead with intentionality, that are sacrificial in their, their giving and in their serving. So I would yeah, say definitely, I want to see men step up. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was talking to a pastor one time, and, um, and sun, uh, football on Sundays tend to be the time of year when it, there's a big drop-off of men in the church. And I yeah. asked him about, you know, watching football, and the pastor was like, yeah, I watch football too. But what he will do is because there's so much downtime between plays, he would have his Bible or something, and he'd, like, read Scripture, and then he'd watch the play and read Scripture. And that was kind of his thing to do, and I thought that was kind of interesting. So when people say, when guys say, we well, don't have time to read, if you're creative enough, okay, so let's say someone's interested in wanting to read your book. If they're creative yeah. enough while they're on the couch watching a football game or whatever it is they're doing, you have time that you can put in. Um, someone else said, um, you know, I'm a, I'm, when I'm at a stop sign, depending on where you're at, a stop signal could be five minutes, you know, right. not supposed to be on your phone, but no one says you can't read a book. Um, but, you know, there's the, you can find creative times to be able to read. And so be, to be able to find some, some time to read, you know, your book and your experience and to find out the things that you're talking about, there is time for people. We just got to make that time and be diligent about making that time. Yeah, I, I don't think times the, the question is prioritizing, you know, is if we I know almost any phone now will show how much time you spend on any app. 
and you go, oh, wow, I spent two hours on this and three hours this way, you know, and it'll look over the week. You're like, oh, wow, I've spent quite a bit of time on either social media or on email or whatever that is. And when we look at television statistics, they're, they're really high. So I think it's one of those things where it's like, what would it look like to cut out one show and replace that 22 minutes of a, you know, like sitcom show with reading or with um, having eye to eye contact with your, your spouse and having a, a conversation about how can I help lead better? How can I love you better today? How can I serve the family better? And as we have these conversations, it's going to change the trajectory of our of our marriage, of our of our families, and and really become the uh, the men and the women God's designed us to be. Yeah. Danny Ray, the author of "No, I Can't Make Your Wife Disappear: Magician's Guide for Magical Marriage." You actually pull back the curtain and share the secrets of creating strong bonds with your spouse that will last a lifetime. And those bonds are the key things. Um, if I could ask you to get back to the magic real quick, just for yeah. a second, and then I'll let you go. Cause I've probably kept you over, but um, there was a time. Okay. I'm like, I'm the one that I don't want to know the secrets to tricks or to, yeah, yeah. you know, the, the magic or the illusion. I don't want to know the secrets because I think it takes away. I just enjoy it for what it is. But there was a, a, a time a few years ago where this guy in a black mask was on TV yeah. and he was, you know, re- revealing the tricks. And I thought it was kind of disappointing. I don't, I don't, I'm not judging it, but I thought it was kind of disappointing because the illusions went away and um, it became no fun again. Like, for example, on one of the shows, he made this big tank, military tank, disappear. But when they revealed the trick on TV, which is why I asked you earlier if it's different on TV than in real life. Yeah. All they did was move the camera. They had two of the same exact backdrops, and all they did while he was doing his sleight of hand or whatever, they just moved the camera, and that was it. You know, they didn't move the tank, tank, didn't disappear, whatever. So, right. my question, yeah, yeah. so my question is, when people come up to you and they want to know, hey, how do you do that or something like that, right? do you reveal the secrets? What do you tell them? How do you go about that? Because there is a curiosity. People do want to know. Inquiring minds want to know. Yeah, is let me say this is, as a magician, I don't keep secrets from you. I keep them for you. So what I mean by that is that we live in a culture that wants everything explained. And what if for a brief moment during a like one hour performance, you experience what's real, which is astonishment. And in that moment, you're just like, wow, how in the world? And so my show, I'm constantly trying to build towards these moments of like, what is happening? But if we look at it as a puzzle, which magic in my world is not, then it's just like, uh, okay, let's put the pieces together. Okay, here's the solution. And then we're back to explaining everything, which takes out, takes us away from the bigger thing, which is mystery. And we, we serve a God that is mysterious. And he, he's created a world that is full of wonder and astonishment and awe that we can look up at the stars and just be like, wow, this is crazy. Look at the ocean and go, God, you're amazing. But instead of that, we tend to want to fix everything and show that we know everything to prove like that we're intelligent or any no- number of things. But I would say, enjoy those moments of astonishment. It points back to who God is and enjoy that, that sense of mystery because it'll remind us that, that God is mysterious and there's always more to know about who he is and what he has in store for us. So if people want to find out more, maybe uh, look at some of your, your performances online or something like that, uh, where, can, where can they find you? 
dannyraymagic.com and all the socials the same. So YouTube, Danny Ray Magic, you know, TikTok, Danny Ray Magic, all that stuff. Yeah. Do you have anything lined up for the new year is if people want to come out and see you? I know you're out in, uh, in Southern California there. Uh, any places people can, can come see you live? Yeah, most of the stuff we do are private events. In even if it's not private, it's you know for a church uh, that's doing an outreach for their community. You know, so I would say if you look online, we'll, we'll you know we'll post. I know there's one coming up that's a public one in Michigan on the 30th of December of this month at Baker House in Michigan. So there's some that are you know open to the public, but it's more rare. I yeah, I would say if you're interested. Talk to a leader, a conference leader, a camp leader, a church leader, a, a corporate leader. You know, we just finished a business party um, last. Well, anyway, so, so yeah, we we try to um, get to uh, all of the states. I've hit all fifty states, four thousand some shows. So we'll be in your area. We just need to make it happen. Um, be a part of making that happen. That helped me. So. And if somebody <laughs> somebody does want to have you come out for a conference or whatever, just dannyraymagic.com, and they can yeah. get all the information there. Yeah, there's a booking page there that they could go to and book. And how about to uh, find the book? No, I Can't Make Your Wife Disappear, A Magician's Guide for Magical Marriage. Where can they get the book? Yeah, you can find that on any number of um, websites, Barnes & Nobles, Books A Million, um, ChristianBook.com, obviously Amazon, my website. Yeah. Anything else we missed out on that you want to share with the uh, listeners or anything? I would just say I, I would really encourage you to figure out how you could invest well in your marriage because marriage will make an impact on everything you do. And having a healthy marriage is just a, a great way to start every day. So do whatever it takes to, to create a healthy marriage. So Danny Ray, the book is No, I Can't Make Your Wife Disappear, Magician's Guide for a Magical Marriage. Hey, thanks so much. We appreciate your time. And uh, I know we maybe went a little bit longer, but you kept opening up some doors that I wanted to kind of pursue because I think it's valuable for, for, for people, especially men, to kind of hear what you were saying because it can resonate with a lot of them. So I really appreciate that. Thank you so much for having me on. It was fantastic. And for those of you uh, uh, that uh, want to follow, uh, again, it's DannyRayMagic.com. If you want to uh, have other means by which to see this show, you can go to RadioWarp.com. That's Radio W-A-R-P, RadioWarp.com. You can find me on Instagram at EdemRocks, E-I-D-E-M-R-O-C-K-S. And you can listen to the podcast um, on all the usual platforms. If you go to Instagram, there is a link that takes you to a bunch of different places where you can see and watch the show. And so we truly appreciate uh, you uh, being a part of the journey. So once again, Danny Ray, the book is No, I Can't Make Your Wife Disappear, A Magician's Guide for a Magical Marriage. Check it out. Again, Danny, thanks so much. We appreciate it. And uh, for those of you listening and watching, thanks for listening. Do tell a friend. And until next time, God bless.